Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. It's Wednesday, July 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. With much of President Biden's legislative agenda stalled recently, he is finally poised for some big wins in Congress. The first major prescription drug legislation in nearly 20 years, and a $50 billion bill to subsidize semiconductor chip manufacturing are two bills that have bipartisan support and appear to be on their way to passing. Mike DeBonis, congressional reporter at The Washington Post, Join us for how Democrats hope that these bills will have big political payoffs. Next, as inflation continues to push prices higher for everyone, businesses are looking to offset their increased costs by making products slightly smaller, but keeping the same price. It's called shrinkflation, and if you don't pay close enough attention, you could be missing out. Laura Daly, contributor to The Washington Post, joins us for how to combat shrinkflation by looking at unit pricing and keeping an eye on tricky labeling. Finally, the Sober Curious movement is making its way into dating, and more people are opting to go out without the drinks. Social norms around drinking on dates have changed, and people are looking for more authentic connections. They are also making sure to mention it on their online dating profiles. Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how younger adults are looking for more creative dates without the booze. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. No longer will America always ever be dependent on something offshore that was created here, made in America, invented here, and we will, again, have the jobs here. Joining us now is Mike DeBonis, congressional reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about uh, what's going on in Congress right now. Uh, President Biden and Democrats could be poised for some big wins uh, coming up pretty soon. They have three major things that could be passed pretty soon. And, you know, that gives them an opportunity to point to something that they can get done, especially after this kind of string of really bad news for Democrats, you know, deals collapsing, uh, bad poll numbers for President Biden. So we're looking at a major prescription drug legislation. We're looking at uh, maybe a bill, uh, $50 billion to subsidize computer chip manufacturing and research. Uh, We also saw the House pass this uh, bill to uh, enshrine protection for same-sex marriages. So, Mike, tell us uh, what we're seeing in these bills and, you know, the possibility that it could bring to Democrats. Democrats and President Biden. These are definitely wins for Democrats who've had a beleaguered few months, going back uh, really almost a year now. But you know, th- these are things that have been months in the making, and they're they're finally bearing fruit. You know, just today the Senate moved to advance this uh, 
Senator Schumer is calling the chips and science bill. You know, this is a bill that really devotes tens of billions of dollars to supporting the semiconductor industry, the high-tech industry, a whole number of advanced technologies. It sort of remakes the whole basic science research apparatus of the federal government. And this is something that's been really under consideration for more than a year. The, the Senate passed an initial version in June. There were some negotiations with the House. This political hardball was played, but they finally seem to be about ready to get this across the finish line probably sometime tomorrow. House will vote on it uh, later this week. And then you have the you know prescription drug uh, legislation you mentioned, which you know lowering drug prices has been a promise to Democrats going back 15, 20 years, um, and they you know look like they might be finally on the cusp of making good on those promises. The complication on all this and what really has uh, steamed a lot of Democrats is that, you know, this represents a real narrowing of what they had hoped to do in terms of their domestic policy agenda. Once had been all a whole bunch of, you know, sort of a laundry list of provisions has now been sort of reduced to this prescription drug bill and some other health care provisions. Right. And we still need to get there, right? We still need to get those things passed. <laughs> Nothing is set in stone until you actually have the votes uh, casted. Yeah, and there, absolutely. There's, there's always something that could happen there on that front. And, you know, real quick, going back to that semiconductor bill, though, I mean, that's one of the things that we'd been hearing for a long time. It was hampering new car production. It can boost our competitiveness with China. So a lot of important things. But, yeah, to your point that uh, these all could be some pretty good victories, but these are all moving away from these bigger, comprehensive bills. All of these in particular have all been whittled down at some point. Uh, You made mention of the Build Back Better plan in your article. I mean, really, there's almost nothing there anymore. Everything has had to take a big hit. The scope of the Build Back Better plan is is gone from at one point people were talking about six trillion dollars, you know, and then it went to three trillion dollars, then it went to one point five. What we're going to be talking about with this prescription drug bill and the healthcare bill, it's going to be well under a trillion dollars. It's going to be really a fraction of what Democrats initially envisioned, which was climate, it was child care, it was child tax credit payments to families, it was a whole bunch of different things. And now you're just looking at a subset of that. But what Democrats are hoping, at least on the, from a political perspective, is they can take this and say, hey, listen, you know, taking on its merits alone, this is a big deal. This is something that's really going to affect people and, you know, address a problem that people have been voting on for a long time, which is a high cost, uh, high cost of prescription drugs. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the good thing is that those are do seem to be that they're going to be passed with bipartisan support, which is so important. But even still, right, with the kind of how grand a lot of these proposals started off as, as what we were talking about, they were really big for the type of majorities that Democrats really had. It was 50-50 in the Senate, super thin. In the House, also very thin. And you had senators like Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, that were opposed to some of the, the provisions in a lot of these bills. And again, so that happens. You don't have the full support of even Democrats. That's why these things have to get whittled down. That's right. And, you know, there's going to be there's plenty of finger pointing that's already taken place about how this whole thing was handled from a sort of negotiation perspective and, you know, whether you know things could have been done differently to generate a different outcome. But at this point, that is speculation and that is all in the past. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of Democrats who are excited to actually vote on some things, get them across the finish line and have something to take into this last, these last few months of campaign season before the midterms to talk about. Exactly. I mean, that's the big thing that they need right there. Well, good wins for the country, obviously, is most important. 
But yeah, the Democrats, for sure, President Biden really banking on some of that good news and goodwill to bring them to the midterm. So we'll keep an eye out. Uh, I know things are moving along, but uh, it seems like uh, some uh, some possible wins for, for them coming up pretty soon. Mike DeBonis, congressional reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I looked and there were two bottles. One was 30 ounces and right next to it was the exact same product, exact same label, exact same price was 24 ounces. Joining us now is Laura Daly, contributor to The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about inflation right now. It's uh, the highest it's been in 40 years. The last numbers that we got was 9.1%. Who knows how that will change the next time we get numbers. But still, it's affecting Americans all over the place. And one of the things that you really need to spot and, and take a look for when you're going grocery shopping is this whole notion of shrinkflation. So mm-hmm. this is when companies uh, maybe aren't changing the price at all of something, but they might change something slightly in the packaging or give you a little bit less of whatever that product is. And uh, sometimes you don't notice it. Sometimes you do, but it's one of the easy ways that companies adjust on this. And for you as a consumer, you got to keep an eye out for it. So Laura, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing out there. Shrinkflation is, is nothing new. Companies have always tried to make a profit, but right now it's gotten much worse. As we know, when a manufacturer is worried about profits and shareholders and making money, they don't have a lot of choices. They can raise the price, but usually consumers have a, you know, start yelling and screaming and saying, wow, you know, I, I've noticed this uh, has gone up and I'm not going to buy that product and they're going to switch. So they don't really want to let the customer know that really they've got to raise the price. So the most inconspicuous option is to simply give you less product than you were getting before, but charge you the same amount. Yeah, it's the, it's the sneaky way of doing it, so to yes, speak. Yes, it is. It's, it's a very sneaky way. And a couple, uh, a couple of quick little examples. So the Dawn dishwashing liquid right now. Right now, they, yeah. their smallest bottle, they've reduced it by one half of an ounce. They kept yeah. the same bottle and everything else, the same price, but it's a half an ounce less. And yeah. uh, everybody knows the Tresemme uh, shampoo bottles, the big black bottles there. Those, that's a little more noticeable, 32 ounces to 28 ounces. But mm-hmm. still, right, you don't really notice it if the packaging doesn't change too much and the price is the same. So you might yeah. be thinking you're getting the same thing. And so when we're going shopping, you have a, a bunch of great tips for what to look out for, what to focus on. And one of the main things is the unit pricing. So really how much it is in that bottle that you're getting. It's really important we, you know, when we're in the store, there's so many distractions and it's so colorful and product is out there and we need to laser focus in on that price tag and on the price tag beside the price is usually a breakdown of what you're paying per ounce, per pound, per sheet, if it's like toilet paper or paper products. And so a good consumer needs to really, really look at that and say, okay, how much am I paying per ounce so that we can compare two products side by side? Because maybe we aren't going to memorize how many ounces are in everything of our favorite products, but we will notice if we were paying 14 cents per ounce 
And when we go back the next time to the store, we're paying 17 cents per ounce. And maybe a similar product right next to it is the same thing. Maybe it's a can of green beans and two different manufacturers side by side. You can take a look and say, well, they're both $2 for a large can, but one of them is less per ounce that I'm paying. So that means you're getting more product for your buck. Another good one to keep an eye out for is the labeling. And uh, I didn't uh, really understand it at first, but uh, going through your article, you know, totally makes sense. So watch out for the words new and improved on a product or Mm -hmm. even family size or party size, because they're just trying to grab you with the words and the the new labeling. But going back to the unit size of things, right, you, you can be getting all sorts of variations in there. And what I've noticed, cereal is probably the number one offender out there that they put regular size and then family size and then jumbo size and all these different things on their cereal. So when you're in the store and maybe you are buying for your family, you can see that and you think, oh, well, it's family size. It must be larger and it must be a better deal. And again, it's not always. They may have less in there again, so that that per ounce cost is less. And of course, party size are on things like chips and (laughs) things like that. And I'll give you a really good example of something that I would have never in a million years thought of. I was just at the grocery store a couple of days ago and saw a bottle of conditioner, suave conditioner, that was marked family size. And I looked and there were two bottles. One was 30 ounces, and right next to it was the exact same product, exact same label, exact same price, was 24 ounces. Wow. Same scent, you know, the same conditioner. What that means is that they were getting rid of, the store was trying to get rid of the 30 ounce because they're not going to make the 30 ounce anymore, but they're going to call the 24 ounce family size. It's all those subtle changes that you really have to watch out for. You know, there's Absolutely. a lot of stuff to, uh, to, to go in this, you know, watch out for those sales, beware of the size of just as we we're talking about. Put in the time though. That's, that's an important one. You know, a lot of people say, Hey, I'm going to do black Friday and do all the research in the world that they can, but they don't do it for their everyday shopping. And that's important right there. You got to put in that time and, and really pay attention to what you're getting. So, uh, keep an eye out for all that shrinkflation. Laura Daly contributor to the Washington post. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And then they were also finding more mentions of words like beach and picnic, uh, which are way up from the beginning of the year, which, which suggests that people are meeting up for more than just drinks. So people are being a little bit more creative about the types of first dates that they are looking to go on. Joining us now is Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about what's going on in the dating scene right now. A lot more people are trying it out, trying their dates out without drinking, without consuming alcohol. You know, a lot of people are looking for this more authentic connection and it's driving this rise in sober dates, especially among younger single adults, which, you know, normally you wouldn't expect that in in that setting. So, uh, Rachel, tell us what we're seeing out there. Yeah, sober dating is really taking off. So uh, I was seeing a survey by Hinge found that about 31% of 18 to 24-year-olds on the app say they don't consume drinks on an average date at all, which I was also surprised by. But, you know, to see overall more than a third of people on the app saying they're more open to going on a sober date and then 31% of the Gen Z population saying they're already doing it Uh, It's pretty astounding. It's a whole new way of getting to know somebody. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense, obviously, especially if they're trying to get these more authentic connections and that for a long time. And even still, I think when people think about online dating or going through these apps, you're still thinking about hookup culture, especially like places like Tinder. Right. I think they have, you know, some bad reputations sometimes, you know, and this is kind of an effort at least to get away from that if they can. And uh, speaking of Tinder, there's mentions of sober have increased a lot in their profiles and, and their member bios. Exactly. It's up 26 percent from 2020 to 2021 and already up another 22 percent this year. And then they were also finding more mentions of words like beach and picnic, uh, which are way up from the beginning of the year, which, which suggests that people are meeting up for more than just drinks. So people are being a little bit more creative about the types of first dates that they are looking to go on. Yeah. And, the, you know, coming with that creativity, right? Maybe there's not uh, an opportunity for alcohol. I mean, I guess you can you can bring it on any date you want, really. But there's uh, always an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's some some data from Hinge. Actually, they have a little list of uh, creative dates. So other activities that are gaining in popularity over going to a bar, 17 percent say meet for coffee, 17 percent say go for uh, go to a restaurant, take a walk, do something creative, see a show. <laughs> I just have to mention it because it's funny. Way at the bottom, two uh, percent meet at one of their ho- each other's homes. I think that's a little <laughs> too quick, maybe for some of these early dates. But yeah, even uh, you mentioned in the article too. A lot of these sober dating is part of this larger sober curious movement, which I really hadn't heard anything about. 
Yeah, so especially after a lot of people found that they increased their alcohol consumption a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, more people who wouldn't necessarily label themselves alcoholic are still trying to curb or eliminate drinking for health or other reasons. So sobriety is hot. (laughs) Exactly. And you spoke to a few dating coaches, one in particular, a Boston dating coach that I have to say provides relationship counseling for $899 to $1,600 for, this is a monthly fee. There's the, that's the range right there. That is a lot of money. But what are dating coaches saying about this stuff? So they're saying that their clients are increasingly looking for these more experience-based dates. So that's a way of really standing out, of learning more about a person than you would just getting drinks. One dater that I spoke to said that she's gone on surfing first dates. She's gone mountain biking with people. She's gone on hikes. Uh, An art curator took her on a museum tour, and she said that she's really able to get a sense from doing things with a person, you know, either you learn uh, how they respond to a new challenge, if it's something they've never done before, or they're showing you their world, like with the art curator. So she said that it's really allowed her to learn about people in a whole new way. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, you you think of it, right? The classic date idea is the dinner and drinks. But there's a lot of pressure that goes into that, a lot of conversational pressure. You know, if you do get a little uh, boozed up and everything, right, there's pressures what happens after the date. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Totally. Doing some of these other dates obviously uh, kind of smooths some of that out. And uh, if you get to do something you haven't done before or in a while, you can at least kind of make the most of it there. And, you know, we always have to talk about money. It's such an important thing with inflation being so high. I mean, that factors in a lot to this as well. If you're doing some of these alternative creative date ideas, you're not having to spend so much and break the bank on buying drinks all night, which can get very expensive very, very quickly. Totally. And as another dater was telling me, you know, even if you find at the end that you might not be a fit with the person. If you went on a hike, at least you got some good exercise and you didn't (laughs) spend a dime. Rachel Wolf, Consumer Trends Reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you.